Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, I always wanted to make a little noise. I guess that does it, doesn't it? I don't know if that's Christmas noise or not, but... Um, I always have to do my top ten, once in a while at least. Uh, how do you know that Christmas is almost here, okay? How do you know Christmas is almost here when there are more needles, pine needles on your carpet than on your tree, okay? The credit card is smoked along with the turkey and the ham. It's a Wonderful Life has been shown for the 13th time. A trip to the mall and back is more challenging than the Indy 500. The Salvation Army bell ringers start accepting credit cards. You're pulling an all-nighter because the words, some assembly required. Your Christmas list is written in black while your credit book your checkbook is balanced, is written in red, okay? Santa's belly is not the only thing that's shaking like a bowl of jelly. The NFL referees are not the only ones giving away the games, okay? And then my favorite, the infamous fruitcake returns for its 12th month of hiding. <laughs> okay, well, I thought that was good. Um, Christmas is all about all these things, isn't it? We have a lot of fun, and yet there's all those hassles that happen all around us. Did you hear about the guy that bought the, the his, well, he wanted to buy his, um, his wife something really precious, so he bought a beautiful diamond ring for Christmas. And a friend said, I thought she wanted one of those sporty four-wheel drive vehicles. And his answer was, well, where, where are you going to find one of those fake Jeeps? <laughs> A little girl was kind of pushing her mother a little bit, you know. She was, she was just wanting a little bit more attention. You know how it is. Mothers, if you're here and you're getting ready for Christmas and all those things are happening, you're trying to bake cookies and, and you're cleaning and shopping. You do all of it right at the same time. And if you have a little girl along, you know what happens. Well, anyhow, the little girl was bathed and ready for bed. She knelt by for her prayers and the sweet little theologian prayed. And forgive us our Christmases as we forgive. Forgive those who Christmas against us. All right, okay. I just couldn't leave that out because sometimes Christmas is not what we intend for it to be, isn't it? We kind of drive that a little bit further. Well, for you ladies that's here, a recent Internet research showed us in the revisionist thinking is that if it had been three wise women instead of wise men, this whole thing would have been worked out differently. Okay? If there had been wise women... They would have stopped and asked for directions. They would have arrived on time. They'd help deliver the baby. They would have cleaned the stable, made a casserole, and brought practical gifts from the baby's arras, including diapers, wipes, and bibs, and formula. But, well, that's an entirely different story. It didn't happen that way, did it? I want to talk to you about Christmas. So we, uh, Christmas, there are things that keep reoccurring, don't they, Christmas time? And one of those things is what we call the movies that's shown every Christmas. This, tonight, or this morning, we want to maybe, it's already been on TV at least once, I've seen it on cable. You don't have to be alone um, this Christmas is our sermon title. But I want to just give you a short clip from the movie clip from Home Alone. That's something that's up every year, and we're going to do a little spin-off of it this morning. So to dim the lights, and uh, we'll get started with this. When the McAllister family left on their Christmas vacation... No, you just made it. They forgot one small thing. Have yourself... I have a terrible feeling. Did you lock up? Yeah. Do we set the timers on the lights? Mm-hmm. What else should we be forgetting? Our troubles will be out. Kevin! Home Alone. Police in the northern suburbs are on the lookout for a pair of burglars who are calling themselves the Wet Bandits. We know that you're in there. It's Santa Claus and his elf. Get her off my property. This is my house. I have to defend the kids. I mean, what can a kid do to us? Kids are stupid. I know I was. Use the alarm, Mark. Get out on your runway and hitchhike. I am going to get home to my son. Take your shoes off. Why do you dress like a chicken? 
Gus Polinski, Polka King of the Midwest. If you have to get to Chicago, we'll gladly drive you there. Hey, guys. Yesterday, he was just a kid. But tonight, he's a home security system. You guys give up, or you're thirsty for more? From John Hughes. You know, I got a feeling this is going to be your best Christmas ever. A family comedy without the family. <laughs> There's those movies we always enjoy, but what I would like to pull from this movie this morning is one of the things that we, we really forget about the holidays is that there are a lot of people, even though they're in a crowd, they're alone. So I would like to talk to you about this part of Christmas, and, I, and if you're here this morning and this ministers to you, I believe God has sent this as something to speak directly to you, and you may be surprised who this may relate to, and I ask you to, to bear with me if it's not really your style or your type of thing, but in my ministry time throughout the years, I've found a numerous people this time find a certain amount of loneliness that begins to happen to them. So unlike the eight-year-old boy whose vacation inadvertently leaves him behind and he's found a way to cope that's so funny that we all laugh at, right? Some people are having some tremendous trouble dealing with Christmas. My wife is a psych nurse. In uh, the last few years, well, quite a few years, the psych wards fill up in this time. They have no place to go. She's working at the Veterans Hospital right now. And all the veterans, many of them who don't have homes, they're in the hospital. Many of them in the psych unit. And so the, the hospitals are full because people feel so lonely. So why the movie? Well, I want to talk to you about this coping with that lonesomeness. See, you could be in this church, you could be in a crowd, and yet there's a heaviness, there's something that begins to happen inside of you, and that you feel alone. I, I experienced that. For the first time about five years ago, I had left the pastorate and I had went to Pennsylvania and I was there. I, yes, I was doing my theological studies and there was a lot of good things happening. But Easter Sunday morning came and I'd been used to preaching this big message and having a church packed and things happening and then the family coming home. This Easter, my wife had to work. I went to church. Church, I should have been, I should have felt like I was with a large group, a church of 600 but I felt all alone. And that Sunday afternoon, I went out to lunch and I had Long John Silvers instead of with my family. For the first time, I understood what it was to be alone. I just walked out in my yard just last night and the neighbor said, you know, this will be the first Christmas that our children won't be with us. We're going to be having Christmas alone. So I'm going to talk to you about this being alone and what it really means, there, there's something about it that should grasp our hearts. And, and even if you're in a crowd, and maybe you attend church every Sunday here, but there's that, that inner self that sometimes you feel this loneliness, this message is for you this morning. It is the most desolate word in the human language, alone. That word is so, it's capable of hurling the heaviest weights that the heart can endure. It, pay, it plays no favorites, it ignores all rules of courtesy, and knows neither border nor barrier, yields no mercy, refuses all bargains, and holds the clock in utter contempt. It cannot be bribed. It will not be left behind. Crowds only make it worse. Activities drive it deeper. Silent and destructive, as a flooding river at in the night, it leaves the slimy banks and seeps into the our dwelling in rises in a crest of despair. Tears fill our eyes and groans fall from our lips, but loneliness, that uninvited guest of the soul, arrives at dusk and stays for dinner. Chuck Swindoll from Giants and Thorns. Loneliness. It's the biggest disease today. is not cancer or leprosy. It's the feeling of being uncared for, unwanted, and being deserted and alone. Mother Teresa said that. It is strange to know, be known so universally and yet be so lonely. That was quoted from Albert Einstein. Though very well known, he was felt all alone. One of the oldest human needs of 
is having someone to wonder where you are when you don't come home at night. Margaret Mead. So today, while I speak to you, there are thousands, literally thousands of people either feeling homeless or all alone. So why do I feel lonely? David had a little idea of this. You find it in the Psalms, and he writes it one time as he, he is fleeing from his enemies. He writes this, I am like an owl in a desert, like a lonely owl in a far-off wilderness. I lie awake, lonely as a solitary bird on a roof. My enemies taunt me day after day. They mock and they curse me. I eat ashes instead of food. We're going to come back to that text in a few minutes. The percentages of Americans who ate dinner alone last night is over 22%. And yet, even those who meet together, often many more feel lonely. So why do I feel lonely? Number one, transitions and major changes in lifestyle. When you move, maybe you've just moved to this area, or you're going through that. Who knows who's here this morning? And, and there's an awareness. Maybe you don't feel lonely, but maybe there's an awareness that you need to be, a, you need to know about. Awareness of how people sometimes feel all alone. It's the transitions, the moves, the career changes, the even retirement. I've heard of ministers who have left, gone into retirement, and they couldn't find a church they really belonged to. And they just felt all alone. Maybe this is the chaplain preaching to you this morning, all right? Don't so Coach Floyd call me Chaplain Floyd. But I, I say this because I believe you would be surprised of the responses, and that's the reason I believe this, the responses I get after a message like this of those people who you have no idea that's maybe sitting right here this morning or a part of your church that will respond and say, you don't know how much that touched me because there's that heaviness it's in my own heart. And I have pastored enough to know what people walk through. Secondly, broken relationships with God or other people. It may be that you're dealing with loneliness today because there is a strained relationship in your life. Maybe there's things that's wrong there. It's an issue of a personal sin or wrongdoing that's left you feeling isolated or all alone. And I know that when we talk about Celebrate Recovery and we're talking about recovery this is a major theme that takes place in many of these men's lives. Thirdly, grieving the death of someone you love. You realize that Christmas is the toughest time of the season. I was in uh, the Carolina Medical Center in Charlotte, Maine, over the Christmas holidays, and this is a big issue, especially those who are grieving, those who have gone on before. We are told in the scriptures that Joseph wept. We know that David wept. We know that even Jesus himself wept. And it's all about that grief. There's many faces of grief, and let me give them to you this morning. Grief is a young woman trying to raise her three children all alone. Grief is a man so filled with shock and uncertainty that he's infused, and he strikes out the nearest person. Grief is a mother walking daily to the nearby cemetery to stand quietly alone for a few moments before going on with the task of the day she knows a part of her is in the cemetery, just as part of her is in her daily work. Grief is a silent, knife-like terror, sadness that comes a hundred times a day when you start to speak to someone who is no longer there. Grief is the emptiness that comes to you when you eat alone after eating with someone for so many years. Grief is teaching yourself to go to bed without saying goodnight to the one who has died. Grief is the helpless wishing that things were different when you know they are not and they will never be again. Grief is a whole cluster of adjustments, apprehensions, uncertainties that strike life and its forward progress and it makes it difficult to research or redirect our energies. I speak about this because deep in American culture there is a certain amount of loneliness that's everywhere. And society's approach to this is not, and should I say the church's approach to it, has never always been really honest. You know, most of us say the thing about going to church is paste a smile on, look good. Everybody, I mean, we want to be pleasant. We don't want to look like a dill pickle, right? Or just eating a dill pickle, I guess is the right persimmons before they 
before the frost has hit them, for some of you that know about that type of thing. Well, anyhow, what I'm talking about this morning, I believe, you don't know what persimmons are without, oh, come on here. This is a, okay, some of you old timers, come on, help us out. Anyhow, they're sour. Thank you so much. That's what some of us used to always try to get people that's not used to that. You know, we always try to get them to try simmon before it's before it got sweet. It gets sweet after it frost hits it. Okay, now for that story. Here's society's approach to management, grief management. The story is told in the book of Recovery Grief. They trace the story of a young boy named Johnny. He's five years old, and Johnny has just lost his dog. Johnny is stunned. He burst out crying. His dog is his constant companion. He slept at the foot of his bed. And now the dog is gone. And Johnny is a basket case. Johnny's dad stammers a bit and says, uh, Don't feel bad, Johnny. We'll get you a new dog Saturday. In one sentence, Johnny's dad has already taken the two steps of how the average person managed grief. First of all, bury your failings and we'll replace your losses. That will take care of everything that happens to us, some would say. Later, Johnny falls in love with a high school freshman, the girl of the wor- that made his world look so bright. And then all of a sudden she dumps him and suddenly the curtain covers the sun and Johnny's heart is broken and it's a big hurt. It's not just the dog that he's lost, but his heart, the person he loves so much. Johnny's a wreck, and he comes home, and his mother goes to the rescue once again and says that with great sensitivity, Don't feel bad, Johnny. There are other fish in the sea. Bury the pain. Replace the loss. Now Johnny has learned that system for the rest of his life, and he'll use them the rest of his life. Much later, Grand, John's grandfather dies, the one he has fished with every summer. The note has slipped to him in a math class. And he reads the note, and he can't cut off the tears. He's choked. He's crying at his death. And the teacher feels uncomfortable having him there in his grief process. And so he, she sends him to the office. The next thing that we always do is grieve alone. Don't let it happen. And when John's father brought him home from school, John saw his mother weeping in the living room. He wanted to embrace her and cry for him. But his dad said to Johnny, Don't disturb her, Johnny. She needs to be alone. She'll be all right in a little while. Then the two of you can talk. The third piece of the puzzle begin to fit to place. Are you with me? That's how we expect grieving to take place. The typical church in America, boy, I, I don't know why. Maybe I ought to really preach this morning, all right? The typical church in America wants people to look nice, come to church, and never have to go through any real problems. Smiley face. Amen. But most of us know that what really happens is we are walking through so many problems that we need somebody to share that story with and to carry that burden. And that's the reason why I'd like to preach on this this morning. What do we do? We go on, we say things like, we have this all down pat, don't we? We say things like, well, let time heal it. But there's some things that time never heals. Live without regret? No. Most of us have a lot of things that weigh us down. Never trust and never love again. That's the reason why I always love, the, love stories where um, uh, Shadowlands by C.S. Lewis, remember the love of his life. He says, if you, can't, if you love someone really dear, it hurts so much that it really hurts. And love, if you love someone, that hurt is so deep. But you have to learn to love again. You have to learn to trust. But bury the grief. I think Bill Hybels writes this, but 50 years ago our industrial nations decided they would try to bury all the to- toxic waste, and so they put it into the ground, and what happened? It began to seep out and to kill the crops and everybody else in the area. And there's something about this loneliness and grief and this problem that if you just bury it, it's going to seep into your whole psychic and your whole life and taint everything that's there. And I'm here to tell you, there should be a warning label put on it. 
The church should have a warning label and they should put it on and said, watch out, if a person is walking through something, we need to do something about it. We need to take care of them and not allow them to allow it to go in instead of be shared out. Okay, how can I deal with loneliness? Let's deal with it. That's, that's the great thing about Christmas. One of the great texts is, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said to the prophet. The virgin shall be with child and give a son, birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Wow. I want you to, if there's anything else I can share with you, I want you to know that you are not alone this morning. There is someone who's come into the world to let you know that you were not meant to be left alone, that he cares about every problem that you have. God is with us, and he's with you this morning. What do we do? How do we do? Loneliness is due to transition and change. Well, I, I would, I would push you to accept responsibility to build new relationships. I, it won't replace the old ones. Secondly, commit to living in a community with a small group. One of the things that I hope that you continue to do as a church is to build your small groups. There has to be a place that your story is shared and carried and focused. Focus on the needs of another person. I really encourage you to do that. Third, uh, second thing, loneliness due to broken relationships. What can I do about it? First of all, confess your sins and ask God to forgive you. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. I want you to know that God is in the restoration business and you don't need to have a broken relationship with him. The second thing I would say about the broken relationship is ask God to help you to forgive your offender. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ Jesus, Christ God forgave you. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Christmas is a time to mend fences. I, I think we got a little bit into that a couple Sundays ago. Let's, let's make this a time of dealing with our relationships. And thirdly, accept the responsibility for reconciliation. The scriptures tell us, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. It's worth it to push out, not let it come in. Mend those fences. Don't be alone. Then the third thing that I was talking about, loneliness due to grief. First thing I would like for you to do, if it's grief that's coming, I, boy, I look over, I, I know, I know what differences. I have preached in so many churches where there's widows that's going through it for, or families with children, or I, two of the biggest funerals I had in this area here, with over 400 present in the church, was teenagers 18 years old going out into eternity. Sometimes those things are grieving processes that really carry the church. It's tough to go through. First thing I want you to do is recognize God's presence in your life. For God said, this is a promise of the Old Testament. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. You know, we celebrate Christmas, but there has to be some way that we move from the crib to the cross. We must always understand that with Christmas Day, there always has to be a good Friday. Christmas is doomed unless we understand that it has to go beyond the sentimental drama or the, um, the legends of Christmas. We have to see the reality of it. For with Christmas, there's Bethlehem and there's Golgotha. There's the manger and the cross. There's the birth and there's the death. All these things should be seen together. I want you to know that wherever you are, God has already been there before you, and he wants to be in your life. The message is, is God with, is with us. He who, resided, he, he who resides in heaven wants to descend into our world for he understands what we're walking through. Secondly, accept that what cannot be changed. David, remember, he was praying that his child would be healed. And he, said, he prays that while the child is alive, the child dies, and, and he goes on and prays again. While the child is alive, I fastened and wept, and I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. There's something in the grieving process that we have to understand that we can't go back to the past. 
There has to be a step, except what cannot be changed. And every one of you, there's things in your background that you'll never be able to change. But I believe, with God's help, that you can make the changes that God wants to bring you beyond that. I cannot change the hurts that you've experienced, that I've experienced, and neither can you. But acceptance of that is the very best thing that you can do, but knowing that God can be with you in it. Third thing, focus on what is not left. Excuse me. Focus on what is left, not what is lost. I wish I could tell you that, my brothers, sisters, because you see, Paul talks about in Thessalonians, he said, you know, we we don't grieve like those in the world. And I want to come back to this a little bit later, too. You know, when those who have gone on, and we're not celebrating Christmas with them, we don't sorrow in the same way. For we believe that God will come back with Jesus and all the Christians who have died. We believe those things. And that's the hope that we have. Third point. Where does God fit in with my loneliness? Well, I just gave you the scripture, and I want to go to that because I think it makes it so much difference. And that's really what I want to talk to you about. All this took place to fulfill what God has said in the prophets. The virgin will be with child, and will be given the birth of child. They will call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Psalmist says, God makes a home for the lonely. He leads out the prisoner into prosperity, only the rebellious dwell in the parched land. Did you know that God with you, God wants to help you in this problem? You don't have to be alone with that, and that's our title. And one of the first things I believe can be is a new beginning. In the beginning, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a help her suitable for him. Someone, I think as a song, went something like, people who need people are the luckiest people in the world. Listen, the fact is, people who need people are the only people in the world. Every person here, you need people. God, the great relational God. I want to get, I want to get back to this as I get into this sermon. But God in his great relationship, he's always been relational. In the very beginning, when he created you, he created you that other people would be involved in your life. That's, that's what you need that above all. I always like the story. I always have to throw one of these in. You know my sermon in case I, you know that guy's just about ready to fall asleep. You know, I have to... <clears throat> You heard about the three men out on the desert island, right? And they were just, they just couldn't wait. They hoped somebody rescued them. They were dreaming about being back home with their family and friends. And one day they found this little, this little bottle come floating in, and it was a bottle with a genie in it. And the genie said, they asked him, the genie said, I'll grant each one of you one wish. And the first man said, boy, I wish I could be back in Seattle with my wife and kids. And poof, he was gone. And the second one said, I wish I could be back in Portland with my fine... My, my girlfriend, and to, in a flash, he was gone. And the third man looked around and said, man, this is really, really lonely here. I don't know if I can handle this. He said, I wish my friends were back here with me. And poof. <laughs> All right. Some time ago, I was at Catalyst, and I had a, it was, it was a, it's kind of a, like opened a new door for me Gabe Lyons was giving a lecture on the whole story. And I think one of, the, one of the things that we have to understand when we begin to talk about the theology of this and the theology of relationship, the church has had a tendency to go from the fall of man into the crucifixion and his salvation. But the whole story is that before man ever fell, God created them in his image. He created them relational people. God in the very beginning came down and he walked with them. Remember that? God, from his standpoint, he has always desired to have a relationship with you and I. But you see, somehow we have gotten to the place that we only see the stored up wrath and we see God as an angry God. But I wanted, and I, I believe that God's wrath is stored up. I am not, I'm not trying to diminish that part of theology, but the whole story is this that God created you because he wanted to have a relationship with you. That in the very beginning, God created you as a relational person and created that you could not just exist by yourself. Can I put it that way? And when there's that emptiness that happens, it's empty. And, and there's a thirst that happens because we were meant 
to be in union with other people and also with God himself. I think that's, that's such a powerful thing. See, man has a basic need, and I'm going to skip some scriptures here. I don't want to preach all day. I do want to preach all day, but I don't think you're going to stay with me, so I'm not going to. I didn't even hear an amen for that one. <laughs> Jesus said, I am the bread of life. You see, there was something about this. Earlier, David said, and he was talking about his enemies taunting him, and he was so alone, he said, I eat ashes instead of food. See, there, there's, a, there's a thinking here that there is something about food that is spiritual. There is something about when we are lonely, it causes a spiritual hunger inside of us. I'm here to tell you this morning, it's not unusual for you. You were created that way, that when you are empty, when you feel this inside of you, that's the way God created you. You ought to know that that's a fact. That's the way you were created. You were to be, when that, that, there's that empty spot happens, there's a spiritual thirst and hunger that rises from you. And that's part of man's basic needs. They need to have a relationship with God. Uh, I gave some scriptures, and I don't want to walk through all of the Ecclesiastes. Can you just kind of flip through them real quick for me and come down to the John one? I don't know if you can find that all up there or not. Should have helped you out with that earlier. But even Solomon, the, the richest man in the world, he said when it got all down to it, he said, none of these things made any difference to me. I've tried everything, but it just was empty. And I'm here to say to you that, that person who seeks what the average person seeks in America sex, alcohol, accomplishments, or anything, you do that at a great price if you do not understand that you were meant to be building relationships. There's nothing as important as the relationships that you're in. Okay, we up to see there? Thank you. I know you can do anything this morning. I got you going there. Um, thank you for helping me out this morning. Uh, would you give them a hand back there? I just really wanted to see if you were alive this morning. You are, good. The new beginning. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. See, God is not just pitying you this morning. He didn't send his son down out a little pity, saying, well, these people are lost. I guess, well, you know, they fail, and so I guess I have to do something to rescue them. Do you realize that God loves you with an incredible love? Some Easter ago, and I almost put this up, and I, I weighed it back and forth. I have this, this picture, and so I'll paint it in your mind. I, have it, I, have, I used to put up, one Easter Sunday morning, I put a picture of my granddaughter, my very first granddaughter. Beautiful picture, of course, it was one of my granddaughters, right? And then the second picture I show her, I show her in a crib, and my, my daughter's over here because of what had happened is that my daughter couldn't touch her because she had something that was wrong with her at the very beginning. And there's that separation. And it's walking my daughter through that when I first begin to understand what it was like with God. My daughter couldn't wait to get her hands on that little baby. I'm here to tell you this morning that God can't wait to get his hands on you. He can't wait to love you. He can't wait to have a relationship. If you ever wonder what God's side of this is, he's doing everything in his power. He sent his son into the world to die on the cross because he wanted to take away the loneliness and the emptiness of the lack of relationship, and he wanted to bring the fullness of his presence. God is with us. I believe that with all my heart. Then there's a new community. You, isn't it something, you'd think that when God saved you, that would all it be, but you know he didn't want you just to get saved and be an individual out here all right. He put you in community. That's the reason why you need to choose a, big, a church that you ought to belong to, and you need to stay there, and you need to work there, become a part in every way, not just attending on Sunday morning, but every activity. I don't know if that's what you, Okay. <laughs> Carolina fans, I, well, I, I know there's a lot of you out there. I'm two of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyhow, you know what a six man, if you're in the basketball, you know what the six man is, don't you? It's the crowd that's around us, right? It's that cheering. It's the mob that, that makes there be a little bit extra energy. You can always play better at home than you can away. 
I don't want you to be afraid this morning or feel alone because therefore since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. You know, I, I just standing over there just for a few minutes, my mind went to my mother and the father. I have no doubt that they share with my message this morning. I miss them. I miss my theologian father and my loving mother very much in this season. Always. And I don't want to let that memory go. I call it bittersweet. I, I cry. Let me cry. Let me enjoy those tears because I miss them. But that loneliness has a different meaning because I understand what it means to me. But I, there's a great crowd of witnesses. Did you, ever, did you ever realize that you walked a spiritual walk, not alone? That the multitude of the heavenly host is gazing down? And when you win, they cheer and they clap. You're never alone out there. There's a multitude of the heavenly host. We're a great cloud of witnesses. Wow, did you ever think of that? You're not alone out there. When, when mom or dad's away and you're in a different city or wherever it may be, I'm here to tell you that you're never alone. This whole thing of, with God is all relational. There's coming a day that we're going to sit around a big banquet table. What, what, what do you do around a table? You know as well as I do, it's all about sharing, isn't it? The new community... And then the great invitation. If you feel alone this morning, I don't want you to leave here until you have it in the right perspective. This is where God stands. Jesus says in the great book of Revelation, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. And he with me. What an invitation. God loves you this morning. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know. I don't know. I, I wish I had been with you long enough to know all the heartaches and all the pain and all the things that you've walked through. That's what church is all about. That's what pastoring is all about. It's not all just mega church. It's all right to have mega church, but there better be something more than that. There better be, as Chick Wark Warren says, the bigger you get, the smaller you get, right? You, you live your life out daily with one another. And I don't know all those things, but I want you to know that God loves you this morning. I give you this story in closing. Pastor James Moore from Houston, Texas, tells the story of a young man. His wife had just died. He has that young son and that little boy looking up at daddy and said, Daddy, I don't want to sleep in my room alone. I can't stand it. Where's mommy? When's mommy coming back? And he doesn't know what to do about it. And finally he says, Son, you can come and you sleep with me tonight. And he's laying there in the bed and he's saying those questions all over again. And finally the little boy looks over at his daddy and he says, Daddy, if you'd just sleep with your face toward me, then I wouldn't feel alone. I'm here to tell you this morning, my prayer is that you will feel God's face toward you this morning and that you know that he's walking with you, that he's filling every void, that he loves you this morning with a love that's just beyond anything you can imagine. And you don't have to be alone this Christmas. Only because I have experienced it. I know this multitude of you have experienced something similar to that. And I haven't told anybody to play or whatever. Would you just bow your heads with me, would you? I don't know if there's someone here this morning in your loneliness. You've never had the proper relationship with Jesus Christ. I would like for you to know that God loves you this morning. God with us means more than just a little something in the Christmas story. It's a reality that God wishes more than anything else. Secondly, there's those that in your anguish and your loneliness, the things that you feel, maybe it's parents, maybe it's children, maybe it's circumstances, maybe it's sin itself, maybe you have been thrust away and everybody's rejected you, wherever it may be, whatever the source is. I don't want you to leave here with God, without God's face toward you. And would you just ask Jesus right now to come into your heart and fill you with his grace 
And this prayer is for you in closing. And if, you, if you've made a decision, when they take the offering, why don't you write it on that card and you can place it in there. I want to receive Christ or you did receive Christ or you want to see someone in the church. Take time to do that so there'll be some type of follow-up. But I want to pray this prayer with you. God, you never intended us to be lonely. You've created us that we could enjoy the joy of serving the Lord with such a powerful way. We know, Lord, that you are in every way. You are our God this morning, and you love us with an everlasting love. And that person in sorrow this morning, may that the bitterness turn to sweetness. May it become bittersweet knowing the joy that someday that they will be joined with their loved one. And that person is sorrowing this morning because of broken relationships. We pray for your healing. You, would you break the chains that bind them? Would you just somehow cause them to throw off everything that keeps them from having the relationships that they should have? And we pray for your peace and your joy that passes all understanding. And we pray a simple prayer this morning. Jesus, would you just not turn your face toward us? And may we know that reality in Jesus' name. Amen.